Chapter 4 of the Book of Cats. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by P. J. Morgan. The Book of Cats by Charles Henry Ross. Chapter 4 of the Manners and Customs of Cats. Let us see, though, before we try our anecdotes, what is known of the cat's peculiarities. I rather like this quaint description of the domestic pussy, which occurs in an old heraldic book, John Boswell's Works of Armory, published in 1597. The field is of the sapphire, on a chief pearl, a maison crueve. This beast is called a maison, for that he is enemy to mice and rats. He is sly and witty, and seeth so sharply that he overcometh darkness of the night by the shining light of his eyne. In shape of body he is like unto a leopard, and hath a great mouth. He doth delight that he enjoyeth his liberty, and in his youth he is swift, pliant, and merry. He maketh a rueful noise, and aghastful when he proffereth to fight with another. He is a cruel beast when he is wild, and falleth on his own feet from most high places, and never is hurt therewith. When he hath a fair skin he is, as it were, proud thereof, and then he goeth much about to be seen. It is commonly supposed that a cat's scratch is venomous, because a lacerated wound oftener festers than a smooth cut from a sharp knife. It is erroneously said that cats feel a cutaneous irritation at the approach of rain, and offer sensible evidence of uneasiness. Allusion may be found to this in Thomson's Seasons. Virgil has also made the subject a theme for poetic allusion. The Chinese look into their cat's eyes to know what o'clock it is, and the playfulness of cats is said to indicate the coming of a storm. I have noticed this often myself, and have seen them rush about in a half-wild state just before windy weather. I think it is when the wind is rising that they are most affected. It is stated in a Japanese book that the tip of a cat's nose is always cold, except on the day corresponding with our midsummer day. This is a question I cannot say I have gone into deeply. I know, however, that cats always have a warm nose when they first awaken from sleep. All cats are fond of warmth. I knew one which used to open an oven door after the kitchen fire was out and creep into the oven. One day the servant shut the door, not noticing the cat was inside, and lighted the fire. For a long while she could not make out whence came the sounds of its crying and scratching, but fortunately made the discovery in time to save its life. A cat's love of the sunshine is well known, and perhaps this story may not be unfamiliar to the reader. One broiling hot summer's day, Charles James Fox and the Prince of Wales were lounging up St. James's Street, and Fox laid the Prince a wager that he could see more cats than His Royal Highness during their promenade, although the Prince might choose which side of the street he thought fit. On reaching Piccadilly it turned out that Fox had seen thirteen cats, and the Prince none. The Prince asked for an explanation of this apparent miracle. "'Your Royal Highness,' said Fox, "'chose, of course, the shady side of the way as most agreeable.' I knew that the sunny side would be left for me, and that cats prefer the sunshine. Cats usually, but not always, fall on their feet, because of the facility with which they balance themselves when springing from a height, which power of balancing is in some degree produced by the flexibility of the heel, the bones of which have no fewer than four joints. Cats alight softly on their feet, because in the middle of the foot is a large ball or pad in five parts, formed of an elastic substance, and at the base of each toe is a similar pad. No mechanism better calculated to break the force of a fall could be imagined. A cat, when falling with its head downwards, curls its body so that the back forms an arch while the legs remain extended. 
This so changes the position of the center of gravity that the body makes a half turn in the air and the feet become lowest. In the inside of a cat's head there is a sort of partition wall projecting from the sides, a good way inwards towards the center, so as to prevent the brain from suffering from concussion. There is a breed of tailless white cats in the Isle of Man and also in Devonshire. These are not the sort of animals with which on shipboard the stowaways are made acquainted. A great many cats in the Isle of Man are said to be deaf, thus, as deaf as a Manx cat. There is an idea that white cats with blue eyes are always deaf, but a correspondent of Notes and Queries says, I am myself possessed of a white cat which at the advanced age of upwards of seventeen years still retains its hearing to great perfection, and is remarkably intelligent and devoted, more so than cats are usually given credit for. Its affection for persons is, indeed, more like that of a dog than of a cat. It is a half-bred Persian cat, and its eyes are perfectly blue, with round pupils, not elongated, as those of cats usually are. It occasionally suffers from irritation in the ears, but this has not at all resulted in deafness. Do you know why cats always wash themselves after a meal? A cat caught a sparrow and was about to devour it, but the sparrow said, No gentleman eats till he has first washed his face. The cat, struck with this remark, set the sparrow down and began to wash his face with his paw but the sparrow flew away this vexed pussy extremely and he said as long as i live i will eat first and wash my face afterwards which all cats do even to this day a french writer says the three animals that waste most time over their toilet are cats flies and women the attitudes and motions of a cat are very graceful because she is furnished with collar bones she can therefore carry food to her mouth like a monkey can clasp, can climb, and can strike sideways, and seat herself at a height upon a very narrow space. The lateral movements of the head in cats are not so extensive as in the owl, but are nevertheless considerable. A cat can look round pretty far behind it without moving its body, which might be apt to startle its prey. The spine of the cat is very full and loose, in order that all its movements in all possible directions and circumstances may be free and unrestrained. For this purpose, too, all the joints which connect its bones together are extremely loose and free. Thus the cat is enabled to get through small apertures, to leap from great heights, and even to fall in an unfavorable posture with little or no injury to itself. Its ears are not so movable as those of some other animals, but are more so than in very many animals. The shape of the external ear, or rather cartilaginous portion, is admirably adapted to intercept sounds. The natural posture is forward and outward so as to catch sounds proceeding from the front and sides. The upper half, however, is movable, and by means of a thin layer of muscular fibers, it is made to curve backwards and receive sounds from the rear. Although a cat cannot lick its face and head, it nevertheless cleans these parts thoroughly. In fact, as we often observe, a cat licks its right paw for a long time and then brushes down the corresponding side of the head and face. And when this is accomplished, it does the same with the other paw and corresponding side. A May kitten makes a dirty cat is a piece of Huntingdonshire folklore, says Mr. Cuthbert Bede, quoted to me in order to deter me from keeping a kitten that had been born in May. Dr. Turton says, The cat has a more voluminous and expressive vocabulary than any other brute, the short twitter of complacency and affection, the purr of tranquility and pleasure, the mew of distress, the growl of anger, and the horrible wailing of pain. For myself, I seldom hear a catawalling without thinking of that droll picture in Punch, of the old lady sitting up in bed and pricking up her ears to the music of a mewing cat. "'Oh, ah, yes, it's the weights,' says she with a delighted chuckle. "'I love to listen to em. It may be fancy, but somehow they don't seem to play so sweetly as they did when I was a girl. 
perhaps it is that i am getting old and don't hear quite so well as i used to do few even amongst pussy's most ardent admirers who possess the faculty of hearing and have heard the music of cats would desire the continuance of their sweet voices yet a concert was exhibited at paris wherein cats were the performers they were placed in rows and a monkey beat time to them as the cats mewed and the historian of the facts relates that the diversity of the tones which they emitted produced a very ludicrous effect this exhibition was announced to the parisian public by the title of concert miaulant this would seem to prove that cats may be taught tricks which is not generally believed but is nevertheless the case in pools twists and turns about the streets of london mention is made of a poor half-naked boy strumming a violin while another urchin with a whip makes two half-starved cats go through numerous feats of agility de roger says that in animals that graze and keep their heads for a long time in a dependent position the danger from an excessive impetus in the blood flowing towards the head is much greater than in other animals and we find that an extraordinary provision is made to obviate this danger the arteries which supply the brain on their entrance into the basis of the skull suddenly divide into a great number of minute branches forming a complicated network of vessels an arrangement which on the well-known principle of hydraulics must greatly check the velocity of the blood conducted through them that such is the real purpose of this structure which has been called the ret mirabile is evident from the branches afterwards uniting into larger trunks when they have entered the brain through the substance of which they are then distributed exactly as in other animals where no such previous subdivision takes place the ret mirabile is much developed in the sheep but scarcely perceptible in the cat being an animal which hunts both by day and night the structure of its visual organs is adjusted for both the retina or expansion of the optic nerve is most sensitive to the stimulus of light hence a well-marked ciliary muscle contracts the pupil to a mere vertical fissure during the day while in the dark the pupil dilates enormously and lets in as much light as possible but even this would be insufficient for cats have to look for their prey in holes cellars and other places where little or no light can penetrate hence the cat is furnished with a bright metal-like lustrous membrane called the tapetum which lines part of the hollow globe of the eye and sheds considerable light on the image of an object thrown on the retina this membrane is we are told common to all vertebrated animals but is especially beautiful and lustrous in nocturnal animals the herbivora such as the ox and sheep have the tapetum of the finest enameled green color provided probably to suit the nature of their food which is green the subject however of the various colors of the tapetum in different animals is not yet understood the sensibility of the retina in cats is so great that neither the contractions of the pupil nor the closing of the eyelids would alone afford them sufficient protection from the action of the light hence in common with most animals the cat is furnished with a nictitating membrane which is in fact a third eyelid sliding over the transparent cornea beneath the common eyelids this membrane is not altogether opaque but translucent allowing light to fall on the retina and acting as it were like a shade the nictitating membrane is often seen in the cat when she slowly opens her eyes from a calm and prolonged sleep it is well developed in the eagle and enables him to gaze steadfastly on the sun's unclouded disk the illumination of a cat's eye in the dark arises from the external light collected on the eye and reflected from it although apparently dark a room is penetrated by imperceptible rays of external light from lamps or other luminiferous bodies when these rays reach the observer direct he sees the lamps or luminiferous bodies themselves but when he is out of their direct sight the brightness of their illumination only becomes apparent through the rays being collected and reflected by some appropriate substance the cornea of the eye of the cat and of many other animals has a great power of concentrating the rays and reflecting them through the pupil 
Professor Bonn at Leipzig made experiments proving that when the external light is wholly excluded, none can be seen in the cat's eye. For the same reason, the animal, by a change of posture or other means, intercepting the rays, immediately deprives the observer of all light otherwise existing in or permeating the room. In this action, when the iris of the eye is completely open, the degree of brilliancy is the greatest, but when the iris is partly contracted, which it always is when the external light or the light in the room is increased, then the illumination is more obscure. The internal motions of the animals have also great influence over this luminous appearance, by the contraction and relaxation of the iris dependent upon them. When the animal is alarmed or first disturbed, it naturally dilates the pupil and the eye glares. When it is appeased or composed, the pupil contracts, and the light in the eye is no longer seen. A German savant says that at the end of each hair of a cat's whiskers is a sort of bulb of nervous substance which converts it into a most sensitive feeler. The whiskers are of the greatest use to her when hunting in the dark. The nervous bulbs at the ends of a lion's whiskers are as large as a small pea. But an English writer differs from him thus. Everyone must have observed what are usually called the whiskers on a cat's upper lip. The use of these in a state of nature is very important. They are organs of touch. They are attached to a bed of close glands under the skin, and each of these long and stiff hairs is connected with the nerves of the lip. The slightest contact of these whiskers with any surrounding object is thus felt most distinctly by the animal, although the hairs are of themselves insensible. They stand out on each side in the lion as well as in the common cat, so that from point to point they are equal in width to the animal's body. If we imagine, therefore, a lion stealing through a covert of wood in an imperfect light, we shall at once see the use of these long hairs. They indicate to him, through the nicest feeling, any obstacle which may present itself to the passage of the body. They prevent the rustle of boughs and leaves, which would give warning to his prey if he were to attempt to pass through too dense a bush. And this, in conjunction with the soft cushions of his feet, and the fur upon which he treads, the retractable claws never coming in contact with the ground, enable him to move towards his victim with a stillness even greater than that of the snake, who creeps along the grass, and is not perceived till he is coiled round his prey. Black cats especially are said to be highly charged with electricity, which, when the animal is irritated, is easily visible in the dark. Here are directions I have for producing the effect. Lay one hand upon the cat's throat and slightly press its shoulder bones. If the other hand be drawn gently along its back, electric shocks will be felt in the hand upon the cat's throat. If the tips of the ears be touched after the back has been rubbed, shocks of electricity may also be felt, or they may be obtained from the foot. Lay the animal upon your knees and apply the right hand to the back, the left forepaw resting on the palm of your left hand. Apply the thumb to the upper side of the paw so as to extend the claws, and by this means bring your forefinger in contact with one of the bones of the leg where it joins the paw. When from the knob or end of this bone, the finger slightly pressing on it, you may feel distinctly successive shocks similar to those obtained from the ears. The Reverend Mr. Wood expresses an opinion that on account of the superabundance of electricity which is developed in the cat, the animal is found very useful to paralyzed persons, who instinctively encourage its approach, and from the touch derive some benefit. Those who suffer from rheumatism often find the presence of a cat alleviate their sufferings. The same gentleman, writing of a favorite cat, says that if a hair of her mistress's head were laid upon the animal's back, it would writhe as though in agony and rolling on the floor, would strive to free herself from the object of her fears. The pointing of a finger at her side at a distance of half a foot would cause her fur to bristle up and throw her into a violent tremor. It is difficult to account for the fondness of cats for fish, as nature seems to have given them an appetite, which, with their great antipathy to water, they can rarely gratify unassisted. 
Many instances have, however, been recorded of cats catching fish. A Mr. Moody, of Sesmond, near Newcastle-upon-Tyne, had a cat in 1829, which had been in his possession for some years, and caught fish with great assiduity, and frequently brought them home alive. Besides minnows and eels, she occasionally carried home pilchards, one of which, about six inches long, was once found in her possession. She also contrived to teach a neighbor's cat to fish, and the two were sometimes seen together watching by a riverside for their prey. At other times they were seen at opposite sides of the river, not far from each other, on the lookout for game. A writer in the Plymouth Journal, June 1828, says, There is now at the battery, on the Devil's Point, a cat which is an expert catcher of the finny tribe, being in the constant habit of diving into the sea and bringing up the fish alive in her mouth, and depositing them in the guard-room for the use of the sailors. She is now seven years old, and has long been a useful caterer. It is supposed that her pursuit of the water-rats first taught her to venture into the water, to which it is well known Puss has a natural aversion. She is now as fond of the water as a Newfoundland dog, and takes her regular peregrinations along the rocks at its edge, looking out for her game ready to die for it at a moment's notice. Talking of the cat's fondness for fish, I should, however, mention that if a plate of meat and a plate of fish, either raw or uncooked, be placed before the generality of cats, they will be found almost always to choose the meat. It is usually supposed that a tortoise-shell tom is an impossibility. The animal is certainly rare, as is also a Queen Anne's farthing, but it is not such a rarity as we are led to believe. On the contrary, specimens are frequently offered for sale at the zoological gardens. It is another great mistake to think that cats have fleas. The insect infesting a half-grown cat does not leap like a flea. The she-cat goes with young, from fifty-five to fifty-eight days, and generally has four or five kittens at a litter. When born, they are blind and deaf like puppies. They get their sight in about nine days, and are about eighteen months before reaching full growth. Those who wish their cats to catch mice, I should advise not to neglect the cat's food. A starved cat makes a very bad mouser, being too eager and hungry for the work, it tries to pounce upon its prey before the proper time comes. A good mouser does not eat the mouse. I have a black cat, which is very fat, but a wonderful huntsman, and surprisingly nimble at the chase. He is also as proud of his achievements as a human sportsman, and brings me every head of game he catches. Sometimes, if I have been out when he has caught his mouse, he has gone all over the house in search of me, and at last has taken his seat by the fireside or out in the garden, and nursed the trophy of his prowess until I returned, mewing piteously if anyone attempted to take it away. But once having laid it at my feet, and had his head scratched in return, his interest in the matter seemed to cease, and he went away without again attempting to touch it. It was clear that he had made me a present of the game and as we sometimes think when we make anyone a present of something to eat, it would be more delicate for us to go away immediately, lest it might be supposed we desired to be asked to stop and partake of it. Tom thus departed, no doubt with a similar idea. No experiment, says an intelligent writer, can be more beautiful than that of setting a kitten for the first time before a looking-glass. The animal appears surprised and pleased with the reflection, and makes several attempts to touch its new acquaintance and at length, finding its efforts fruitless, it looks behind the glass, and appears highly astonished at the absence of the figure. It again views itself, and tries to touch the image with its foot, suddenly looking at intervals behind the glass. It then becomes more accurate in its observations, and begins, as it were, to make experiments by stretching out its paw in different directions. And when it finds that these motions are answered in every respect by the figure in the glass, it seems at length to be convinced of the real nature of the image. End of chapter 4 Recording by P. J. Morgan